This is the Fantasy Nightcap, a Fantasy Nightcap production with your host, Shane. Kick back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome in to another episode of the Fantasy Nightcap. Grab a drink, kick back, and relax. I'm your host, Shane Barrett. You can find me on Twitter at FFShaneB. And joining me tonight is your rotating tap, Mr. Nathan Polvote, who's with so many people. We'll let him talk about that in just a minute. But before we do that, how are you doing tonight, Nate? I'm doing great, man. It's been a good start to the week. Nice Monday. It was almost 80 degrees here, which was phenomenal. Of course, it's going to rain for the next two days. So, yeah, man, I'm good. Stoked to be here. It's my only appearance this week. Taking a taking a podcast live stream vacation the rest of this week, I think. Nice. I'm uh, I'm not happy yeah. with you because you're sending the rain my direction, and somehow it always rains on Thursdays when my wife is taking our kids to dance class. So I'm blaming that on you today, Nate. <laughs> oh, whatever. It's fine. I'm magic <laughs> weather guy over here. You are magic weather guy. All right, and then Nate, joining us today is our special guest, Mr. Dave Kluge with Football Guys, and you guys should follow him at Dave Kluge. Dave, how you doing tonight? Doing great. Uh, much like Nate, I was just enjoying the weather. Nate and I, we only live about an hour away from each other, so uh, nice. you know, woke up this morning, it was, it was freezing cold, and then uh, I went outside to get something out of the car, and I said, wow, it's really nice out, and I took my shirt off, and I played in the backyard with my dogs for a few hours and got some sun, and you know, it's... It's crazy what a little bit of vitamin D can do after a long, long winter. Mm. So I'm, I'm, I'm feeling great tonight. Absolutely, I am. Uh, I'm ready for it to be consistently sunny here. Go take walks downtown and and whatnot. Um, I live in Greenville, South Carolina. I don't know if you know that, Dave, but we've got a bri- a suspension bridge in the I've, middle I've of downtown. Yeah, over the Reedy Multiple River, and times. I yep. love it. So, yeah. um, kids love it too. So that's always fun. No, that, that Greenville is a beautiful place. My uh, aunt and uncle moved out there with their four kids a while ago that are right around my age. So they all got married in Greenville. So I have been to Greenville nice. for four weddings and, and love it. It's awesome. such such a cool city. Absolutely. If you're ever down here, hit me up. We'll, uh, we'll go grab a beer or something. Absolutely. Cool. All right. So tonight we are actually going to be discussing... Our, our whole show is actually based off of an article that you wrote, Dave, uh, last year with the zero wide receiver draft strategy. Um, I really enjoyed that article, and there was a line in there that we'll talk about in just a minute. But before we get into that, we got to do the, the regular segment. What are you drinking? And Dave, as our guest, we'll start with you. I'm drinking some Kraken spiced rum. It's all I had in the house. Um, you know, I've uh, been taking nice. a little break from drinking lately, and uh scavenged the bar and that was all i was able to find that i wanted to drink outside of that it was a bunch of uh i had a maraschino liqueur and some grenadine and 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 this seemed like the (laughs) only thing that was uh reasonable to drink on the rocks tonight that's fair that's fair (laughs) nate what about you uh i'm keeping it simple man i got a coors light local beautiful crisp clean uh under 120 calories so oh really I didn't think I knew that. I yeah, thought I was like higher it's... than that. No, it's pretty low. It is. I'll tell you a minute here. It is. I can't tell you. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I thought I could. It's okay. Um, it's I mean, it's lower calorie than an IPA. We'll just put it that way. Touche. That is a very fair point. Um, and tonight, gentlemen, I am drinking out of my uh, Noel Christmas cup that I got from Target, uh, Maker's Mark and Diet Coke, because I'm watching my girlish figure. So. Well, all right then. All right, gentlemen. You ready to jump into it? Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. All right, so I already alluded this to this, but Dave, last April you wrote an article on zero wide receiver drafting. Um, do you like this strategy in Dynasty? No, quite the opposite, actually. Um, that is okay. a redraft specific uh, strategy that I use, and and I think I alluded to that in the article. But um, just simply, it comes down to the shelf life. I mean, running backs are great, but we see it all the time. I mean, you look back just two years ago at who the top 
10 running backs were in dynasty and all of these guys now have fallen out of that spot so mm-hmm. uh no this is just specifically for redraft um and really you know when i'm drafting in dynasty i don't know if i necessarily lock myself into a set strategy um i really like to target wide receivers and quarterbacks um but really you know it just comes down to whatever drops to me some of the best advice i ever got when it came to drafting in dynasty was from mike lou who i'm not sure if you saw just announced his retirement actually but he no quoted way. bruce lee he did he is stepping away from the fantasy football world um, wow yeah so very very disappointed you know mike's a, a good friend but you got to do uh what, what makes you happy but he quoted yeah. uh bruce lee when talking about draft, draft strategy and said be water you know, you got to play the board as it comes to you. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I learned. If you try going into a draft with a preconceived strategy, and this is what I'm going to adhere to, you're going to end up chasing the end of runs and you're going to burn yourself. So um, really, you just got to look at how other people are drafting. And when they zig, you zag. You just try to do the complete opposite so you can get that good value at every single round. 100%. And that was actually the line that I wanted to point out that you put that in the article was people don't get locked into that set draft strategy when you start a draft because I think in the article you said you could come to the end of a round and have Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams staring at you and it's like uh okay yeah I'm gonna take that here <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and that's the thing is right. you know it's it, and and I always look at strategies as a guideline you know there's yeah you know I, I want to get as many running backs as I can early just because I feel like that gives you a really big advantage in redraft I mean one of the big things is just that Workhorse running backs just simply don't exist anymore. I mean, it used to be every single team had a guy that was going to get 300 carries. So there were 32 guys that you could basically choose from that you can plug in as your RB1 and your RB2. And now you've got like five of those guys. And in that article, I have a graph where I broke it down or a chart that I broke Mm -hmm. down by the decade. And it's just every single decade, that sample of guys that are hitting every threshold, 200 carries, 250 carries, 300 carries, it just keeps going down and down and down. So I think that if you can lock in Two of those workhorses. That's what I want all the time. You know, every single year I look through who are the guys that I think are going to be a lock for 300 touches. And I want to get at least two of those guys on my redraft roster. Yeah, absolutely. Nate, how do you feel about zero wide receiver in Dynasty? So I've been pretty vocal about the fact that I'm kind of not a a hard, rigid strategy guy. Uh, Like like Dave said, and I really liked what you said, Dave, is where I go into a draft where I'm thinking – this is how I want it to go. But many times that, I mean, everybody else in your draft has a strategy too. And when you're in a 12 team league, one of those managers is bound to have a similar strategy to you. Cause there aren't a whole lot of different ways to really draft if you're doing your research. So, I mean, I go into it like, uh, you know, once you get past that first tier of guys, like for me, it's kind of, a whatever game. Um, I did a dynasty startup draft, which I know is different, but I'll be using a similar strategy where I'm taking running back and wide receiver early, even in super flex. I landed on Derek Carr and Ryan Tannehill's my quarterbacks didn't take a quarterback until the sixth round. And I'm okay with that when I've got, like you said, Dave, I've got Jonathan Taylor. I've got Nick Chubb. Those are guys who are going to get that high level carries. And I know those are points. So I'm okay with Derek Carr. And now that's looking even better getting him in a later round. It's probably not going to be the case towards the season, but like just fluidity. I mean, I'm okay with zero wide receiver if it benefits me based on the league I'm in and drafting in. And and I think another thing too, is that running backs are so affected by situation that like a guy who's a stud running back one year, could be a bum the next year and then go back to being a stud the year after that just based on where he's playing and what his competition is. Where with wide receivers, you know what you're going to get a little bit more. I mean, even mm-hmm. right now with Tyreek Hill going to the Dolphins, he's taking a slight ding and he's taking and Jalen Waddle has taken a slight ding. But imagine if, like you said, Nick Chubb, imagine if Nick Chubb was traded to the Colts and suddenly Nick Chubb and Jonathan Taylor are sharing a backfield. Those guys aren't going to be able to put up elite numbers individually. So not only is the shelf life longer for a wide receiver, but also the talent is a little bit easier to evaluate and it's able to stand out where running backs are a little bit more, uh, you know, dependent on their situation. Yeah, totally. Well, and I think something too with when it comes to wide receivers, the situation I'm just going to point out real quick, T Higgins and Jamar Chase. Yep. As to you can't have two running backs do that, but you can have two wide receivers in a system do it. Mm-hmm. Which is actually, and I think I may be in the minority with this, but I think that could be an 
where Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle end up. Um, now I'm a I'm a Tua guy personally, so that's why I think it. So I know other people aren't as as fond of Tua, but I think these guys with especially with their yak ability fit well with Tua, and Tua is capable of throwing the uh, the deep ball. He's he just doesn't do it a ton. Um, so Dave, you kind of pro- yeah you c- well actually no. What's your preferred strategy in Dynasty? It's just being water? Being water, yeah. I mean, just, okay. just playing the board as it comes to you. So just, just you know, I'd, I'd say probably the strictest rule I have, at least in a Dynasty startup, is that I want to get two quarterbacks in my first three rounds. And I know that's the opposite of what Nate was just talking about here. But I like getting those young, really high-ceiling quarterbacks mm-hmm. to anchor my team. But just as an example, I was doing a startup recently where everybody, um, you know, I had the 11th pick and nine of the first 10 picks were quarterbacks. And then it got to me and I'm sitting there at 11 and I said, well, I'm not going to pass on Jamar Chase here. And then yeah. coming around to me in the second round, there's Justin Jefferson. So, you know, I, I had to stray away from what I like to do and what I'm comfortable doing and taking quarterbacks. But, you know, that value is just too good for me to pass up. Like I'm not going to not take Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson in the first and second round there. So, you know, just just playing the board as it comes to you, as corny as that sounds. Um, and, you know, even another example is I like to kind of avoid running backs within the first few rounds because they're so volatile and they can fall off so quickly. But mm-hmm. Christian McCaffrey fell to me in the early fourth round in a startup recently. And I said, well, oh I'd be gosh. crazy not to take Christian McCaffrey <laughs> yeah. here. And right. you know, I straight away from my avoid running backs early because of the value that fell to me. Yeah. It's all oh, relative. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it depends. Cause like if you're in a tight end premium, like double premium league, I mean, you're taking Travis Kelsey with the first pick because you're talking about three points per reception. Mm-hmm. That's different. It's important to know your league settings too when you're going into a draft. I mean, that should change a lot of things for you if it's not just like a typical like six points per touchdown, whatever, one point per 25 yards for the quarterback type scoring. Yeah, no, totally. All right. Uh, this question, this this one just makes it make it makes me hurt to be completely honest with you. Uh, Nate, we're going to open it up to you first. What are your thoughts on zero running back? I've tried it a couple times. Tried it a couple times last off season. Um, it all. De- I mean, it depends. I. I mean, I, okay. I'll never. Do, first, I'll start off with I'll never do it again because <laughs> I just. I just, I just ended up with nothing at running back. I made poor decisions in later rounds. There are things I could have done to have improved my status within the league if I'd done better at drafting some of those late-round running backs. But that's a, when you start getting to those late rounds, it's a, it does become a crapshoot because, like Dave said, a little change in situation, and you can watch a guy's value plummet. Mm-hmm. An injury, um, maybe the offensive line isn't playing as well. Free uh, agent signing? Or free agents like things like that yeah zero running back like i would if anybody's listening to this and you want like my biggest advice don't do zero running back it is so risky it is it's like playing roulette or like sitting at a craps table like it's a roll of the dice dave what about you what what are your thoughts on zero running back so um, I, I've never really committed to a full zero running back build because when I think zero running back, you know, that's the guys that are waiting until the 12th, 13th, 14th round to take their first running back. Yeah. And that is insane to me. And I mean, some people can do it and it works for some people, but that's, you know, I, I like having a little bit more stability than that. And yeah, you know, you can get lucky and stumble into Rashad Penny and Dante Foreman and plug them in and, and, and take off. But like I said, I just like having the stability. So typically I'll have specific guys that I'm targeting in every single round. And if they drop to me at a good value, that's where I'll pull the trigger. But usually, um, I, I don't know if this is considered zero RB per se, but for me, I usually start looking at running backs in the fifth and sixth round. That's about when I'll start eyeballing running backs, fifth and sixth round of a startup. I've usually got two or three guys in mind there. And if they fall to me, great. And if not, then I've got guys that I'll pivot in the next rounds and hope that they fall to me. Who are those guys that you're targeting in the fifth and sixth rounds? 
I am glad that you asked. Uh, one guy right now that I just can't get enough of, I don't understand why he is sliding the way that he is, but Travis Etienne. I have been taking him in the sixth round in almost every it. single startup that I'm doing. I mean, this guy was the RB2 last year as a rookie, and yes, he broke his foot with the, the Lisfranc fracture, and that doesn't have the best rate of people coming back to 100%, but the one indicator that does help people come back from that injury is youth. The younger people are, the more likely they are to bounce back from it. We saw Julio Jones bounce back from it and put up five straight seasons with 1,300 yards. We saw Marquise Brown fracture his list, Frank, joint um, before his rookie season, and he came back without missing a beat. So I am optimistic that Travis Etienne is coming back. And last year, you know, he was getting drafted in the late second, early third, and all that happened is he was injured. He's still in the same exact position with arguably a yeah. better team now, a better coach, more offensive weapons. So that is a guy right now in the sixth round that I can't get enough of, but if somebody takes him a little bit earlier and I can't get to him, then the next kind of tier that I look at in rounds 8 to 10, there's a group of guys that I really like there. Elijah Mitchell, A.J. Dillon, Isaiah Spiller, Damian Harris, James Conner. So I'll start pulling the trigger on those guys in the, the 8th to 10th round. And, and those are guys that I just really, really like. James Conner is probably the one that stands out from the bunch because he's a little bit older than the rest. But him having that Arizona backfield all to himself, he is just going to be an absolute beast. But... You know, I've, I've made it through there before where I also cannot get those guys as well. So the <laughs> latest I have ever waited on a running back one was uh, the 11th round. And I ended up with uh, Tony Pollard and Ramadre Stevenson in the 11th okay. and 12th. And, two. and I, I, I'm not crazy about those two, but then I loaded up with guys later. I got Alexander Madison. I got James Cook. I got Gus Edwards. I got Keyshawn Vaughn, Chris Carson, Jared Patterson, Justin Jackson. So Really what I'm hoping is that, you know, one of those guys is going to be a serviceable RB2 and then one of those other guys can be thrusted into a starting role due to injury and then I've got two running backs for the season. Yeah. Well, totally. I mean, if Carson can stay on the field, he's easily an RB2 if not an RB1. And he's but going in the 16th yeah. round right now. The 16th yep. round. Yeah. I feel like I yeah, just no, got that's him crazy. real close to getting him in a startup. Um, and it was stupid late. I was like, why is Chris Carson still available right now? <laughs> Recency bias. People look at his injury history and they don't want to touch it. And I, which I, which I get, but like, he's not the first person in the history of football to have spent a few seasons getting injured and able to actually. I mean, look what Rashad Penny did at the end of last season. Why can't Chris Carson have a full season? We know he's capable of it. And Dave, I know he's one of your favorite running backs out there. You love Chris Carson. I do too. If he's on the field, I was high on Rashad Penny coming into this offseason because he was a free agent and I didn't believe that Seattle would re-sign him. They did. <clears throat> I'm lower on Penny now because I believe that Carson takes that work as long as he's on the field. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've still got summer camps to open up. And right now what sure. we're hearing from the Seattle beat reporters and Pete Carroll is that he should be a full go by camps and that they're expecting him and that his surgery was mm -hmm. successful and that he's at 100%. But that could also be coach speak. I mean, the reason he's going in the 16th round be. right now is there's a chance that he gets cut in a few weeks and then other teams look at him. He can't pass a physical and he never plays football again. So there is that just that's you know, fair. That's fair. floor that is baked into his value as well. Yeah, that's fair. Dave, you mentioned A.J. Dillon um, as one of your guys in the 8th to 10th round. Another guy that I know you love this year. And right now, I'm loving him too. Is Aaron Jones? Where are you comfortable taking him? Um, you know, I've got them side by side in uh, dynasty and redraft rankings. Redraft rankings, I give the slight edge to Aaron Jones, and in dynasty rankings, I give the slight edge to AJ Dillon. Um, yep. But you know, had you asked me this question a couple weeks ago, Aaron Jones was pretty much off my draft board. Uh, you know, my fear was that he was just going to slowly start losing work and that they were going to use the uh, out in his contract after the season. I thought he had one year left in Green Bay, and then he was done. But now with Devontae Adams gone, we're looking at a completely different situation for Aaron Jones. I tweeted out recently, the sample size isn't huge, but in the last three seasons, there have been seven games that Aaron Jones has played without Devontae Adams. And in those games, he's seen almost eight targets per game. He's averaging 26 points per game. If you extrapolate that over a season, he was scoring more points per game than Cooper Cup did last year in the seven games without Aaron Jones. So, I mean, I, I, I really think that Aaron Jones is going to be looking at the next two years without Devontae Adams. He'll stay in Green Bay, and I think he can consistently be seeing seven to eight targets per game. So the fear is that he's 27 years old, and we see that age cliff approaching quickly. 
mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I mean, I, I've got him just outside of my RB ones in redraft, and I'd be pulling the trigger on him comfortably in like the sixth or seventh round right now. Uh, you know, if I if I miss out on ETN and he's there, I'll I'll, I'll gladly take Aaron Jones. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Nate, what do you think about Aaron Jones this year? So, uh, <clears throat> I just did my first rankings today on Fantasy Pros, actually. Uh, so, um, I bumped. I'm I'm I like Aaron Jones. I think he's good for 100 plus targets in that offense with Devontae Adams gone. I think he becomes a pretty marquee part of that passing game unless they do something crazy which I don't think they're going to do. This is a team that historically doesn't draft wide receivers early. Maybe they go out and get a Jarvis Landry, but Aaron Jones is still probably one of the best targets in that offense. I like him to finish as an RB one, probably in that RB one tier next season. I think, and I, and this is going to sound crazy, but I think AJ Dillon could realistically finish in like a mid to back end RB two tier area. I think it makes sense with what this offense is now. Aaron Rodgers is older. You don't want to push it on that shoulder. He has had injuries in his throwing shoulder before. You lean on guys like Aaron Jones, and then you're going to really like bump that run game. And A.J. Dillon's kind of the power back in that offense. Mm-hmm. I think right now, because Devontae Adams is gone, everybody is kind of scared of Green Bay, just all hmm. the Green Bay pass catchers. Right now, with their current values, I think that – A.J. Dillon, Aaron Jones, and Alan Lazard are all going to smash their current ADPs. And everybody is thinking that there's going to be an odd man out. And I think that all three of these guys can happily coexist in Green Bay. Like you said, with uh, A.J. – or I expect Aaron Jones just to be playing out of the slot. He's going to take on much more of a receiver role, which is what Mm -hmm. he's most comfortable at and translates to a lot of fantasy points. A.J. Dillon is going to be the early down goal linebacker, and he could see 15 to 17 touches. And then Alan Lazard, I won't go off on that tangent. I've already talked about it enough on Twitter and written articles and talked about it enough on shows. But I think Alan Lazard, the stage is set for him to have a monstrous breakout as well. So I'm curious, Dave. I want to know where you're at on Robert Tanyan. How do you feel about Uh, him? coming back from injury. So I've, I've got, um, and, and, and this is kind of the crazy thing is, you know, I, I went through the projections with the green Bay offense and you can project career highs in targets for Tunyon, Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon, Amari Rogers. If they draft two first round rookies and Aaron Rodgers throws more targets to both of those rookies than he has ever thrown to a rookie wide receiver in his career, there are still over 200 targets available up for grabs between Alan Lazard and a free agent or whoever else. So, I mean, I, I think that Robert Tunyon is going to see about 80 targets. I think Aaron Jones is going to see about 100. I think A.J. Dillon's going to see another 40 or 50. And, I mean, just by trying to do projections for the Green Bay Packers, even if they see a decrease in pass volume, there is still easily 120 to 140 targets up for grabs for Alan Lazard. And it's just kind of mind-boggling that people don't want to believe it. <laughs> yeah. I think it's crazy, too. I mean, I've been on the Lazard train. I like him. He's a great receiver with Adams out of the way. Like really go get him at what his value is right now in dynasty, because it is not going to be this low again after he blows up in 2022. Mm -hmm. And and I think a big thing too, is that Aaron Rodgers really trust is so important to him as corny as that sounds, but Randall Cobb, Devontae Adams, Jordy Nelson, none of these guys ever cracked 1,000 yards within their first three seasons. I mean, this is just kind of what Rodgers does. He like slowly grooms and develops these receivers over time. And then what we saw is the pattern where it was Greg Jennings was the guy. And then Greg Jennings got hurt and Jordy Nelson stepped in as the guy. And then Jordy Nelson went to, ironically enough, the Raiders and then Devontae Adams took over. And now Devontae Adams is gone. And it's just not in the Packers mo it's not in their blood to go out and make a splashy free agent signing or to bring in rookies they just are going to have the next man step up and that could be alan lazard it could be amari rogers it could be robert tunyon but i'm putting my chips on lazard well and dave you actually just you kind of made my point for me there because there's another person who is no longer there and yes vacated targets aren't real whatever rogers has to throw the ball to someone adam's and MVS are both gone. Mm-hmm. So I think while vacated targets aren't real, it does open some doors for Amari Rogers to step up, which is what I'm hoping for as a, as a Packers fan. But also, 
I don't think they make that deal for Adams to get that that second first round pick this year without some kind of concessions or agreement with Aaron Rodgers to go draft a wide receiver in the first round. I'd be shocked. Um, just because what we've seen with Rodgers so far has been like, you guys haven't been, you, you traded up and didn't tell me about Jordan Love. You haven't been drafting me receivers, blah, 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 blah. Fine. Devontae Adams is going to walk. I get it. He's expensive. He's worth it, but he's expensive. I feel like there had to be some kind of concession or agreement made that they were going to go draft somebody in with one of those two first round picks. I'd be shocked. I mean, a lot of mocks have Chris Olave, Chris Olave from yeah, Ohio Olave. State going to Green Bay. I mean, they've got two firsts. They could walk away with Garrett Wilson and Drake London or George Pickens. And yeah, Drew. I mean, they can go so many different ways. But I mean, they and that's what and that's like I, I in the article I wrote, I projected the worst case scenario for Alan Lazard is them taking two first round receivers and Rogers throwing more targets their way than he's ever thrown to rookies before. And, you know, Randall Cobb seeing a bump in usage, Jones, Dylan, Tunyon, everyone seeing a bump in usage. And there are still hundreds of targets available. I mean, people, I don't, I don't think they're really taking notice to how bare bones this Packers offense is right now. I mean, there are four guys there from last year. And that's it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I definitely have as a Packers fan. It's like, oh shit. <laughs> Who is he going to throw the ball to with Adams gone now? Like, and, and the thing what? is, even with all of it, Rogers' value hasn't taken a ding. Like, people still know yeah, it right. doesn't matter. Like, you could throw a bunch of janitors out there, and Rogers is still going to find a way to throw for 3,500 yards and 30 touchdowns. Like, he's just, it, it's yeah. that's his baseline. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could throw me and Nate, who are both under six foot out there, and he'd probably <laughs> still find a way to hit that. <laughs> Dude, I screwed up my throwing shoulder raising my hand on a podcast last week, like to the point where I couldn't get above here for like four days. So my quarterbacking days are done. I, <laughs> I'm basically, I mean, <clears throat> I could probably like go to Philly and maybe get some passing stats there above and beyond Jalen Hurts because he can't throw. I'm kidding. Jalen Hurts is way better than me. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of embarrassing to me that tom brady's 45 and he's killing it and i'm over here like getting up the stairs man i just like might have pulled a hamstring dude i don't know what i did but i've pulled a baker mayfield and hurt my non-throwing shoulder and it's just like if i lift my arm above here too fast or even like just at the wrong angle it's like oh sweet jesus i'm about to fall down and die oh, no. so yeah, it's 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 not fun right now. I'm going to the chiropractor to uh, try and figure that out. Um, so yeah, all right, that's enough talk about zeros. We're gonna trans transition into some best player available tier based dra drafting, bully tight end and late round QB. So I feel like tier based drafting has become slightly more popular, um, probably mm -hmm. up there with zero RB. Dave and Nate, how do you guys determine your tiers when it comes to drafting? You know, I, I wish I could say that I had some sort of like method process, but really I go with my gut. Um, I built my own rankings mm -hmm. about six years ago. I, I downloaded consensus rankings and I just started tweaking things. You know, I think this guy's too high. I think this guy's too low. And that has just been a running project for me for the last six years now. So I don't, you know, I, I, I do go with my gut and I do some basic projections that help me kind of formulate some opinions. Um, but, but really it's just something that I kept as my personal rankings and then just recently started to share, um, the, the one thing that I think kind of gives me an advantage is when I started in the industry, it was doing news correspondence. So I was incredibly plugged into the news, um, get to find out the tendencies of different beat reporters and learning to read between the lines. You know, when a coach says this, they could really mean this. And I think being able to kind of get ahead of the news before it happens, knowing how teams operate and trying to project what their next moves are going to be in the offseason and how that's going to impact value of other players. I think that's kind of where I get my edge. Um, so, you know, I've, I've got a decent understanding of, you know, data and analytics, and I've spent a lot of time to learn more and more about that. My biggest edge when it comes to building these tiers really just comes from my gut and being just plugged into NFL news nonstop for the last 15 years. <laughs> Bo over here coming in hot. 
Bo coming in hot. Well, he started with this, but I threw this up first. <laughs> he, he said, hey. Um, and then Thieves. What's up, Thieves? Um, and then we got Mike Hicks in here, too. Um, Dave, it makes me so happy that you actually said that in the way that you said it. So I actually started my dynasty rankings two years ago. And I've got a little model or whatnot where I weigh the different um, attributes that I use to rank them. And like, I'm so, I would say I'm new to it because again, it's only two years old. Yours are six years old. So I guarantee you, you've got more process and thought and analysis into it so far, but I haven't determined how to determine my tiers yet either. Like I'll probably go in and end up looking at like, okay, like these guys are like a 4.8 to a 4.6 and that'll be like tier one or something like that and end up doing it a little more analytically that way with the, the, the numbers but that's the, the thing about rankings and tiers and whatnot that I've learned from doing it just for two years is you can adjust those and figure yeah. out what makes sense to you and what fits in your drafts. And that's what I really like about it. Yeah. So, so I mean, for my, my process, I mean, this isn't really talking about tiers, but um, you know, a lot of people have a data first approach oh. and some people have a film first approach where they kind of take grades. And, and what I do, and this sounds crazy, but I have kind of a hunch first approach where I'm just so plugged okay. in that I'm like, you know, I yeah. think that this might, I, I, you know, I, I, I kind of developed this theory in my head. And then what I do is I start looking at the numbers and sometimes the numbers, you know, corroborate my hunch. And I'm just like, holy crap, I'm onto something here. And that happened last year with Debo Samuel. And I said, Debo Samuel is set up for a huge breakout. It happened in 2019 with Lamar Jackson. It's kind of the same take that I have right now with Alan Lazard. On the flip side, though, I've had hunches before where I start digging into the numbers and I say, ah, you know, maybe there isn't a strong correlation here. And then I've even had some instances where I start digging into the numbers and I completely changes my opinion. And I say, wow, you know, I wanted to try to prove this right, but I ended up, you know, landing on a completely different conclusion. And now this is where I'm going with it. So I think for me, it's just kind of understanding narrative and how football works, how, how coaching works and all that. And then kind of working backwards through the numbers and seeing if that will either back up or completely disprove my theory that's so <clears throat> that's interesting because that's very similar to kind of how i end up laying out all of my analysis like <clears throat> we're people who know football <clears throat> oh, God, joey i love joey <laughs> always throws me off i will read I your comment in a minute joey i'm just <laughs> so I mean, for me, when I'm looking at anything, <clears throat> there's always a measure of statistics, situation, some level of like film study and analysis, but there's always a gut feeling. And I think that comes with anything that you do in life. You can take all of this data, you can read all of these articles, see what all the talking heads like us have to say about a certain thing. But at the end of the day, you have a gut feeling. For My gut feeling tells me that I should never, ever, 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 ever draft Kirk Cousins. And I don't, <laughs> and it's worked well for me. I just don't like the guy. And I know that he's a good quarterback. I understand the merits of drafting him. My gut tells me I'm never going to take him. I will not ever have him rostered unless there's a dire situation where I have to get a quarterback and I have to trade for him. It's not going to happen for me. That's a gut thing, but I'm. that's just kind of like, I feel like that's a big part of this. Like you said, Dave, how long have we been watching football and paying attention to football and pining over football? A lot longer than we've been analysts. It's been our life. So we have a certain understanding of how this game works, whether we played it or not. And at the end of the day, that's the thing that's going to tip the scales for me when it comes to making a draft pick in a draft. Gut. I'll have three guys I'm looking at, and my gut tells me I'm taking, I'm between Robert Tanyan. Hey, Fantasy Nightcap listeners. This is FF Shane B here giving you guys a quick ad for Newsly. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android. It picks up web articles about the most trending topics on the web at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. For the first time in the history of the internet, the entire web becomes listenable, all in one place. You can browse articles from topics you choose and start playing. Stop scrolling, start listening. You can follow any topic as specific as you like from sports like us, science, to Bitcoin, or even the Kardashians. It will find you the latest articles and read them to you aloud. And they have podcasts as well, which is where we come into play. So explore trending podcasts from over 50 countries, 
Our podcast, Fantasy Nightcap, is there too. I started using it as my default podcast app, and you should too. Download and use Newsly for free now from www.newsly.me or from the link in the description and use promo code FNC podcast. That's with a zero, not an O that I would and receive a one month free premium subscription. Have a great day and join Newsly. Hunter Henry and Logan Thomas. My gut says, Take Logan Thomas, which it probably would never actually do, but I'm going to take Thank Logan God. Thomas. Well, no, I'm just like throwing names out here. <laughs> well, Nate, I think what you're also describing is kind of a price thing. Like there are certain guys that I won't take in drafts because their price is too high or I like other mm-hmm. people at their price. Um, and price being relative to, to draft capital, obviously. Um, so I think that's a, another thing to, to talk about or think about when you're drafting is like, let's say you've got two guys where ADP has pushed one way up and has dropped the other way down. You're going to want to take the one that's been dropped because they're probably a better value or a better player. Um, and sometimes hype can, can get a bit out of control. So, okay, now let's read Joey's comment real quick. What he's learned so far from this episode. Uh, Nate and I need Pilates. Dave was wild and half naked in the backyard. I did catch that too. Um, that was a very interesting comment, Dave. We can maybe visit that later again. Like I said, I got to get no... vitamin D and I want it on more than just my face. I need it everywhere. Short shorts and no shirt. Sun's out, guns out, right? Yep. Sky's out, thighs out. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> and then no intentional position strategy rocks and Packers RBs are close. Very fair. Um, Mike memory. throwing shade yep. at me, needing more than a lot of Pilates. Um, and then Joey again. I've read it helps with back issues. I've never done a Pilates, let alone multiple Pilates. <laughs> Joey corner. I want to throw one more thing out there, though, when we were talking about the process a little bit. And, you know, I was trying to think in my head, like, of a situation where I actually have a hunch and then I go back and look at the data and it makes me change my mind. And I think the the glaring example for that last year was DeAndre Swift. At the end of the season, I was completely off on DeAndre Swift. And that was my gut telling me, don't draft DeAndre Swift because I had drafted Kerryon Johnson and Amir Abdullah and Mikel LaShore and Javid Best and Kevin Jones and all of these guys that were highly drafted Lions running backs that just screwed me. And then over the course of the entire offseason, the more I looked into it, I said, you know what? I just got to get on board with DeAndre Swift because this guy's the real deal. And by the time draft season rolled around in August, I was drafting DeAndre Swift everywhere. So that was, uh, you know, I was trying to think of one of the situations where I had a hunch. And then the more I looked into it, it kind of made me pivot a little bit. And, and that was the one that I could think of. What about, so I'm putting you on the spot here. What about the other way? Have you had a hunch about someone that you were like, I got to have this guy, and then digging into the data and, and the film has actually turned you off of him? Uh, not that I can really think of. Usually the guys that I'm, I'm high on, um, it's, uh, I feel like I'm usually, I have pretty sound reasoning to be high on guys. When I'm yeah. fading guys, it's usually a like guttural, like I just, I, I, I hate them and I can't explain why. But I don't yeah. really feel that way when I'm pumping up players. Like Derek Carr. Derek Carr's another guy. I was so off Derek Carr. And then Adam Harstead over at Football Guys, one day I just tweeted out some dumb cheap shot about Derek Carr. And Adam Harstead reaches out to me and he goes, hey, man, like you should look at this. You know, I wrote this article and I started looking into it. And I was like, well, wouldn't you know it? Derek Carr is actually a pretty darn good quarterback now. And he's been putting up fantasy points for the last few years. And now I'm on the Derek Carr bandwagon. Nice. I was <clears throat> I was so low going into Derek Carr this offseason. And I wrote a piece on him and I initially went into say that he was a dynasty free agency faller. But then I looked at what they were doing and what the team was doing. And dude, I I'm on Derek Carr now. It, I was off of him, Dave and man, yeah, you shouldn't be off Derek Carr. No, you, you shouldn't. Should, well, you should be I, on. I'm glad you, I'm glad you guys are here now. Welcome. Welcome to the party. <laughs> I see Bo in the chat here too, saying that I that I pivoted on Pitts, and I want to say I think I, I kind of hit my Pitts elaborate pick. on I that. Was, what, what I didn't like, I was completely off Kyle Pitts last year because I said 
he's not going to have a good rookie season. And I didn't expect him to just put up 1,200 yards and suddenly be the number one overall pick. And wouldn't you know it, his ADP now is still exactly what it was a year ago. He hasn't appreciated in value whatsoever. I was off of him in redraft, and he finished as a middling tight end one. But really, what's the difference between like a mid-tight end one and like a back-end tight end three? Like, really, it's just a handful of touchdowns. I mean, Pitts, if you drafted him in redraft this year, it wasn't a good feeling. And now I'm going out and acquiring him because he hit that threshold as a rookie. He had a phenomenal rookie season and he didn't generate the touchdowns, but he had a great rookie season. One of the best rookie seasons ever for a tight end and his value didn't budge whatsoever. He's still getting drafted exactly where he was last year. Yep. I love it. Absolutely love it. All right. Uh, I got to. This was a great conversation, but now I'm completely lost in the show sheet. Um, Okay. I actually like this question a lot and we've kind of, we've talked about it in different ways tonight, but I want to ask it specifically this way. And Nate, we're going to start with you on this one. How do you create and use positional scarcity when drafting? I mean, to be fair, I don't really try and create it or use it. I just, I go, I go with the flow of the draft. Um, And I, I, I do what's best for my team. I'm not necessarily trying to like screw anybody else in a draft or shift anybody else another way in a draft. If there is a positional run though, I will continue that positional run sometimes if I already have a need at that run. And it might not be a situation where I'm like, well, I have to get this guy now or I'm not going to get him. It's a, let's see if I can make people keep drafting tight ends that they shouldn't be taking Mm -hmm. this early because I know I'm going to take this guy anyway. And if this run Mm -hmm. continues, I come around on the turn. I still get the guy I was going to take with my last pick anyway. I mean, and that's just like having fun because most of the leagues you're in, you're in with people, you know, so. Yeah, that's interesting, Nate, because when I read this question, you know, I, I thought it was a very interesting question. And the first thing that popped into my mind was taking advantage of positional scarcity by being the run breaker. You don't want to be the guy that's chasing runs. And I kind of that's how that's... I interpreted the question is if I see six people taking running backs ahead of me, I'm not going to keep hitting on that running back train because I know that the value of those running backs is quickly depreciating. I'm going to grab a wide receiver mm-hmm. that I have in that same tier and break that and let everybody else, you know, as the 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 running backs are slowly diminishing in value as everybody's drafting them. That's when I'll pivot and take a receiver or a tight end or a quarterback. So sure. the one time that I actually drafted zero running back was because I was doing exactly that. I was zigging while people were zagging or whatever. And I ended up with DJ Moore, AJ Brown, I think DK Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, and maybe Justin Jefferson all on one team in a dynasty league. Now that league folded. My running backs were hot garbage, but I had five potentially dynasty wide receiver ones on my team. And I was just like, come on, like, let's go. <laughs> and, I, and I did that in a, it was, I was in sleeper bowl this year. I don't know if you saw that, but it was with some fantastic mm-hmm. analysts, Scott fish and Ryan McDowell, Evan Silva. And um, you know, everybody was going running back crazy. It was a redraft league. And I, I'm typically a guy that goes very heavily after running backs in redraft leagues, but everybody else was doing that. So, you know, we, we've said zig one other zag quite a few times on the show, but that's exactly what I did. And I ended up with George Kittle and I ended up with uh, three tight ends with my first four picks. And because everybody was going so bullish on tight ends early, I was able to get DeAndre Swift. And uh, I can't remember who my RB2 was, but in the fifth and sixth round, I ended up with De- oh, DeAndre Swift and Damian Harris as my RB1 and 2. Nice. And those guys were plug and play all season and I got them in the yeah. fifth and sixth round. Nice. And it's because um, at that point everyone had their running backs. No one else was drafting running backs and I was able to just keep picking them late. Yeah. I love that. Um, and Dave, I don't know if you great segue to our next question. Um, which tight ends do you guys try to pair if you're using a bully tight end strategy? You know, I'll, I'll do bully tight end in best ball. But okay. as far as long-term question marks with almost every one of the top-tier dynasty tight ends right now, I am not really comfortable taking anybody in that top tier outside of Kyle Pitts. And if I can okay. get Kyle Pitts at the end of the first, early second, great. But outside of that, you got Travis Kelsey. He's 32 years old. Darren Waller, he's going to be seeding his alpha role to Devontae Adams. Uh, George Kittle, he just disappears. Like Kyle Shanahan will just mm-hmm. scheme him out of the game for three or four weeks. 
Uh, Mark Andrews, when you look at his splits with Tyler Huntley and his splits with Lamar Jackson, and then you look at his, you know, expected wins above replacement, he had an insane touchdown rate that all kind of boosted his value a little bit. So for me, I'm, I'm not really doing bully tight end right now in Dynasty. I'll take Kyle Pitts, but really my favorite is kind of that mid-tier, which they say is always a trap, but uh, TJ Hawkinson, Dallas Goddard, Pat Fryermuth, these guys might not have that you know, mega elite ceiling that the other guys in that other tier will. But I think that they're relatively safe. They're young and they're going to have, you know, consistent uh, tight end one seasons going forward. So I like that tier. And then I'll also wait a little bit longer. And I love this tier. Albert Okwenabinam, Evan Ingram, mm. Irv Smith. A lot of times I will just take one tight end early. And then once I get to that late tier in the 15th, 16th, 17th round, I'll take three straight tight ends there. Yeah. We have guys like Dawson. We have guys like Dawson Knox going later. You have Dalton Schultz for some reason. People aren't hopping on him early, which they should be. Cole Komet is valuable. Uh, He finished as a tight end two without a touchdown last year. Uh, And I think that that says that he's due for a huge bump. I I may or may not think he might finish as a tight end one in 2022, but we'll see how that. Someone's got to cast patches in Chicago. Right, Look, Cole, exactly. Okay, he, I'll make the case for you, Nate. Cole Komet, he's a year three tight end. He's a Notre yeah. Dame tight end. And he's got a second year QB who I think will target the tight end. And like Dave just said, here's number four. They've got Darnell Mooney. And then who? Aaron Bringle. <laughs> I would Thank take God Cole for Byron Pringle. Over Byron Pringle. Equinamia <laughs> St. Brown. What it, so I, I heard you say, though, you called out Notre Dame tight end. Who are yeah. some other notable guys from Notre Dame? The only one I can really think of is Tyler Eifert. Uh, Kyle Rudolph before him. Oh, that's right. All right. Yeah. yeah. R- Rudolph fell off a little bit, and, I mean, he's still in the league, I think, but he was he was really good, if Giants. I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. He's with the Giants now, but when he was with the Vikings, he was – I don't know big if he was tight end one. Presence. Because, but, yeah, yeah, he was he a big was red zone presence. Down. And Eifert was yeah. a beast before the injuries piled up. Yeah, yep, hundred really percent. And then, just because I'm a Notre Dame fan and I know he's coming, Michael Meyer, baby Gronk, he's coming. If you can get those 2023 first, I thought, I thought do Adam it. Shaheen was baby Gronk. <laughs> There's been a lot of baby Gronks since. A lot Gronk. of baby Gronks. Yeah, yeah. Everyone wants to be baby Gronk, but nobody is baby Gronk. Oh, and Bo brings up a very good point. No Nagy is a huge upgrade for that entire offense. <laughs> that is true. So, all right. Uh, next question for you guys. This will probably be our last draft strategy that we talk about is late round QB. Um, who are some guys, if you are going to do a late round QB, that you are going to target? And I know, Dave, you said this is kind of the opposite of what you do. Um, so I'm going to make you think real hard. And you can even give me a redraft I- answer, too. So I got to say, I, I don't think late round QB is the way to go anymore. And I had JJ Zacharyson on my show last off season and I asked him and he said that as well. You know, he wrote his book back in, I want to say it was a uh, 2016 or 2017. It was a while ago mm. and the landscape has changed so much. We have just as a collective, as a, as a, the fantasy industry has gotten so much sharper at being able to find those breakout quarterbacks. And I think like the one exception in recent years has been Justin Herbert, who is a generational passing talent that I don't think anybody saw coming. I mean, this guy was ranked as like a QB four, QB five in his own class. He's kind of the outlier there, but you know, at the end of the 2020 season, I immediately was beating the drum for Jalen hurts. And I was like, this is going to be the guy. He's going to be a league winner. Da, 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 da. And he was getting drafted as the QB seven QB eight. I mean, people have become very privy to knowing that you want to draft these young quarterbacks with rushing upside. So it makes it really hard to get those late round guys now. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, we saw it with Patrick Mahomes, he was, you know, the late round guy that was a league winner. We saw it with Lamar Jackson, late round league winner. And since then we've almost over adjusted in the market now where I feel like Justin yeah. Fields, Trey Lance, these guys are, are he valued pretty darn close to their ceiling because people don't want to miss out on them. They're able to recognize the upside. So now I feel like the pendulum has swung to the point that we are overvaluing the guys with massive upside. So I guess there is a case to be made for waiting, 
But, you know, it's just I, I feel like if you're waiting, you know what you're getting. You're getting a vanilla quarterback like Kirk Cousins or Derek Carr that's going to put up mm-hmm. low-end QB1 numbers. If you want that upside, you've got to draft one of those guys early. you got to get your Josh Allen, your Kyler Murray, your Deshaun Watson. And if you don't want to pay up for that, you just got to be content with low-end QB1 numbers. Yeah. I mean, we're the, the league, Dave, you're completely right. The league is at a different point. Quarterback talent isn't what it was five, six, seven, eight years ago. You've got these guys who are so dynamic and so many of them, and you've got a community of fantasy football managers who sees all this happening, and we've gotten much more intelligent at drafting quarterback. We understand that a guy like Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, they're going to be more valuable. So once you get to that second tier quarterbacks, there's kind of a major fall off there, which is why I've seen a trend of people who in super flex leagues, yeah, they'll take a second and a third quarterback. But a lot of times you see them rolling out a running back or another high end wide receiver. They maybe reached a little bit on in the draft in that super flex spot, because we really do like, we know what quarterback is when you get into that second tier, it's not great for fantasy. Yeah. And I mean, you even see it now with some of the rookies that are coming in. Like the 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 draft community is not that crazy on Desmond Ritter. I mean, Desmond Ritter is probably going to be a day two pick, but you've already got fantasy football rankings where people are putting him as their QB2 because of his rushing upside. And like people are already going buck wild. Not, and I'm falling for it, man, with Malik Willis. I just drafted Malik Willis in the third round of a startup. And Dude, you're doing it totally on the upside. And, like, you know, we're already probably drafting this guy pretty close to his ceiling, but it's something that people are realizing how big of a difference it is. Like, I mean, that is a cheat code. When you have one of those quarterbacks that can put up 27, 28, 29 points a game, that really makes a huge, huge difference. So people are, you know, always trying to get ahead of the curve, getting that next high upside quarterback. Well, I think – so I love Malik Willis. Just real quick, I just want to say this. He's a guy who needs to sit for at least the first half of the season before he sees the field if he's going to be successful. Otherwise, we're looking at a Josh Rosen situation where this guy gets absolutely ruined and is out of the league essentially in four years. Nobody knows where he's actually playing because he's at best a third-string quarterback. Let me throw another one out there. Justin Fields. Justin Fields was a guy that was supposed to sit for mm-hmm. half a season. You know, a lot of people were saying that he'd come in week eight, yep. week nine or whatever. And then all of a sudden Andy Dalton gets knocked out with an ankle injury and Justin Fields is thrusted in when he was not ready. And not I mean, we might close. see something similar with, and, and, and that's why I think Justin Fields right now is such a great value. I don't think he was ready last year. Now with another offseason of prep, you know, I think that he's going to make a huge step forward, but we might even see that next year with Malik Willis where, you know, maybe he gets drafted to Atlanta. You know, Atlanta can he, he drops to them at eight, or they trade up to get him, whatever it is. And then Mariota could twist an ankle week one, and then all of a sudden Malik Willis is thrusted in there, not ready, not developed. He's got to play for his life, and then his value plummets after that rookie season. So, um, I, you know, people are just uh, we, we we've gotten much better at knowing where fantasy points come from at the quarterback mm-hmm. position, and it makes it really tough to get that edge now. So. You must have read my mind, Dave, because the question I was going to ask was this. I feel like this entire draft class, except maybe the wide receiver position, has been deemed weaker, especially with the quarterbacks. So my question was going to be, do you think that this rookie class causes a swing back the other way? But you already answered that with what you said about Willis and Ritter. And those guys are already flying off the board. And then you better believe that if, you know, Matt Corral or Sam Howell get a little bit of draft capital, people are going to be going goo goo gaga over them too. I mean, it's just, oh, I'm already goo goo gaga over Sam Howell. (laughs) (laughs) If he gets, if he and Malik Willis are the only two that get round one draft capital, I said this on another, on my show uh, last week with Heath Cummings, I may be stubborn enough to keep Sam Howell as QB one of the class. I don't hate it. I, I'm pretty sure Christian Williams is there. I've seen a few people that have Howell yeah. as the QB1. Yep. We're not even um, talking about Pickett. It's another guy that could be going in the first round. I, I if only his it. hands weren't so tiny. Look, Dave, we already talked about it earlier. Nate and I are both smaller, or both under six feet tall. Nate, I don't know about you, <laughs> but I've got bigger hands than Kenny Pickett. 
Yeah. I also I have mean, bigger hands than Kenny Pickett. I'm under six but foot that as well. Nate and I are about the same time, and I measured my hands out, and they are also bigger than Kenny Pickett's. As... Yeah. But look, dude. It's, it's going to be a problem. Doug Flutie <laughs> had a relatively successful NFL career. The dude's 5'7". Joe, Joe Burrow's hands are smaller than mine. Drew Brees. Uh, Burrow was still nine inches, though, right? Are we talking about hands? Yeah. Yes, I hope so. Be weird if we <laughs> oh wow that went off the rails fast um <laughs> all right so my last question and I, I think i know the answer to this but has have either of you had any success with going um <laughs> Thank you, Joey, for bonking us with the uh, horny dog bonk. Um, have any of you had success with a late round QB draft strategy? 2019, Lamar Jackson. I, I had Lamar Jackson everywhere, and uh, nice. I has, have, haven't really had a late round QB hit like that since. I mean, Mahomes. I, I picked him up off waivers in my my redraft home league in in 2018. But uh, like I said, you know, because of Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. And, and Josh Allen and Kyler Murray. I mean, it has just really, really changed our perception on young quarterbacks. Yep, totally. What about you, Nate? I mean, I can't think of one specifically, but um, <clears throat> I make the playoffs a lot and I go late round running back. So, like, yeah, I mean, I've had success with it. Um, it comes <clears> – I draft higher at other positions and quarterback takes a hit on it, and I'm okay with that in most leagues, depending on the scoring. But yeah, I mean, I've had, I'm not saying I recommend it, but yes, I've had success with it. Yeah. Um, I'm tooting my own horn here. I made the championship game in the fantasy wildcard dynasty league. And my QBs all season were Jared Goff and Teddy Bridgewater. Now that is is so it's a 14. It was a 14 team super flex dynasty. And I made the championship game with those two. Now, here's the problem. By the end of the season, they were both hurt. So I think in the championship game, I started Tim Boyle and Drew Locke. So currently, Uh, my team name in that league is Locked on Boyles. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. But it was fun. All right. uh, Dave, we got a little bit of time left. So I want to do a little bit of advice and, and get to know you. Uh, for our listeners and uh, viewers. So first question for you, Dave, is when did you start in the fantasy industry? Oh, uh, It was uh, about 2018. Um, I started writing for Fantasy Pros. And, and for a couple of years before that, what I was doing was just anonymously writing articles on Reddit. And then one day somebody from Fantasy Pros reached out to me and they said, hey, you know, you've kind of got a knack for this. Would you like to start writing at Fantasy Pros? And, you know, me not knowing anything about the fantasy industry. I was like, cool, I'm going to be Mike, Mike Taglair by next year. Like that's, that's what I was expecting. And <laughs> no, I was as low on the totem pole as you could possibly be um, grinding out articles, uh, news blurbs, I should say for 50 cents per news update. And uh, I didn't even start with fa- football. You know, I was writing football content on Reddit. That's where they picked me up. But when I started at fantasy pros, it was writing basketball. And then I was upgraded cool. from basketball to baseball and then I was eventually, after two years at Fantasy Pros, I moved from basketball to baseball. And then I finally got my shot uh, doing NFL content prior to the 2020 season. And that was uh, Dan Harris. He told me, he said, hey, man, you got you to gotta get on Twitter. He's like, if you're creating football content, there's this huge community of people and you need to start sharing your stuff out there. So I hopped on Twitter um, uh, about a month before kickoff uh, 2020. Had never done a show before, um, you know, just kind of tweeted out, Hey, looking to start doing some football stuff and ended up doing a podcast, ended up doing some live shows and uh, yeah. And, and, and here I am. It, it's, it's been a, it's been a wild couple of years. Awesome. 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 And you are a, a rising star for sure. Uh, best piece of advice for someone trying to crack into the industry. Well, you know, I say this on, on shows all the time. Um, I want to be where I am without luck. I mean, just plain and simple. There is a lot of luck that, uh, you know, you need to, um, you know, I I just, for whatever reason, caught Joe Bryan's eye and we hit it off and 
uh, he reached out to me and, you know, it, it took a long time from him following me until I got a job at football guys. But, you know, you also have to put in the time and, and the work and the effort. And I think a huge thing is just being kind and avoiding the drama. And I can't speak for every company, but um, I know that, you know, if we're looking to bring people on, one of the first things we do is we mention that person and people start browsing through their Twitter. And if there are shots taken at other people and drama and there's more of that than there is actionable football content, you know, a lot of people have lost opportunities and they don't even realize it because they are getting yeah. more consumed with the drama than they are with the content. So my advice is just to avoid drama, be kind, work hard and an opportunity will find you eventually if you do those things. And, you know, I happen to find the opportunity a little bit sooner than other people have. And I, I realized that there's some luck there, but I think a big part of that was also me just working hard and, you know, trying to consistently keep my face out there and write articles and, and network as much as I can and, and try to make as many connections as I could. Awesome. Yeah. I, uh, I completely agree with you on the, the be kind part of it. Um, Joey, <laughs> but no, I, I completely agree with you on the be kind part of it. Um, that there you can, you never know what people are going through on a day-to-day -day basis. The worst that, or I don't even know, I don't know how to word this, but the best thing you can do is just be kind because you could make someone's day just a little bit better um, and change someone's life even um, just and by saying a kind word or two. I, I got sucked into some of the toxicity last offseason. It was my first full offseason in the industry. And, you know, it just became something where, like, I, I wasn't on Twitter or anything like that. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's it's something where I'm just plugged in 24-7, dealing with thousands of strangers in this community. And, you know, I, I, I definitely got pulled into some of the toxicity and, um, you know, I kind of had an aha moment where I said, this is not worth it. And I kind of stepped away. Yeah. And I feel like I've been pretty drama adverse since, but it's just something that, you know, people learn over time. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that that's my biggest advice to anybody is just, just avoid the BS because all it's going to do yeah. is hold you back. Yeah, totally agree. All right. Little more fun question for you. What is your number one fun fact about you, Dave? Uh, people watching the show probably already know this about me. I know Nate knows it about me, but, uh, I, I love climbing mountains. That's, uh, you know, it's just this weird itch that's yeah. what brought me from the Midwest out to Colorado. Um, there are 58 peaks in Colorado that are over 14,000 feet. My wife and I nice. were a little bit over 50% of the way through climbing all of those. Um, you know, our, our honeymoon was not your typical honeymoon. You know, most people want to go get pampered and massaged and drinking, you know, flowery drinks with umbrellas in them and my wife and I didn't shower <laughs> for two weeks and we lived out of our car and camped on the side of mountains and you know cooked our food cool. over a fire but that's the the stuff that we like doing um especially with how you know tech intensive this job is where you're just sitting in front of a screen all the time uh we, yeah. we find it very important to set aside that time where we aren't going to have a phone in front of us. We're going to be completely unplugged from Wi-Fi and cellular data. And we're just going to go disappear in the mountains for a couple of days. And, you know, I don't know, maybe there's something wrong with us. Maybe we're a little bit sick. We like the pain of just pushing our bodies to the absolute limits. But um, that, that that's my fun fact is, is we are all about mountain climbing, rafting, rock climbing, all of it. Okay. I got to do some quick math, but that means because you said there are 58 and you've done half of them? Uh, I think there's 56. Yeah, and we're at, uh, I'm at 29 right now. So 29 times 14,000. Son of a bitch. Well, here's, so this is what <coughs> a lot of people get confused about. It, you're, you're not climbing from sea level up to 14,000. So you yeah. can do that if you go to Alaska, if you go to Vancouver. But a lot of the times these trailheads are starting around eight to 9,000 feet. So typically okay. like the biggest ones I've ever done, you're, you're gaining like 7,000 feet in a day. Okay. And yes, Joey is coming out to visit in June. And I told him that I'm going to drag him to the top of a 14,000 foot mountain. I'm going to be a That's Sherpa. Awesome. I'm going to carry all the beers and sandwiches and everything in my bag. <laughs> he's just got to show up and walk, but he's doing it with me. Well, now, wait a second. I didn't know this service was available, Dave. I'm in. <laughs> you're a Colorado native. You can pack your own stuff, Nate. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I fine. All right, gentlemen. Well, that wraps up this show. Um, Dave, thanks for coming on. I had a blast. 
um, and, and love to get in your perspective on kind of how you, the, the different draft strategies that are out there. And um, I think the theme from this episode will be, be water. So Dave, before we go, anything that you want to plug and everyone make sure you follow Dave on Twitter at Dave Kluge. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. Just the, the nice thing now is I don't have to plug a bunch of stuff anymore. I'm exclusively over at football guys. So that's what I get. Follow me on Twitter at Dave Kluge. Find all my content at football guys. So that's it. Awesome. And Mr. Nathan Polvo, where can people find you and what do you want to plug? So you can find me at Nate Polvo on Twitter. Um, all of my stuff's in my bio on Twitter. Check me out on Fantasy Pros. I'm starting up with Trophy Smack. Um, in between media, it's my baby. Check me out there. Yeah, that's about it. Yep. And everything will be in the show description on YouTube. I don't know if I'll be able to get it on Anchor um, because they have character limit. YouTube's is not nearly as uh, suppressive. Um, but then you guys can follow me on Twitter at FFShaneB. This is the Fantasy Nightcap live. And you can follow the, us on Twitter at Fantasy Nightcap. Make sure you guys sign up for Polly's Playoff, a tournament to end Alzheimer's. It is a super flex tiered PPR uh, redraft tournament. uh, donation for an entry fee uh, goes directly to the Alzheimer's Association and this is the Fantasy Nightcap where we serve you fantasy advice straight no chaser cheers